everyone. Welcome to The Green Room, where we speak to entrepreneurs and thought leaders in fintech across Asia. I'm your host, Armita Veer. We are sponsored by the ASEAN Financial Innovation Network, or AFIN, Oxygen by Apex, and Open Banking Fintech Broncos. In this episode, I speak with Vikram Kotibaskar, co-founder and CEO of Credilink.ai, which provides embedded finance products to digital e-commerce players using alternative data. Vikram was born and raised in India, completed his master's in the U.S., and then spent many years working across diverse banking roles in Asia. Vikram made the jump to fintech founder with Credilink.ai in January 2021. Credilink.ai is focusing their B2B credit services across Southeast Asia and Australia, and already has quite a bit of traction in Singapore, Hong Kong, Indonesia, the Philippines, and Malaysia. They raised a 1 million angel round in February of 2021, a 2.6 million seed round in April of 2022, and just closed an extension of that seed round earlier this year in February. You can learn more about them by visiting credilink.ai. And now a word from our sponsors. everyone, my name is Manish Devan. I am the Managing Director for AFIN, which is ASEAN Financial Innovation Network. We run the very popular apixplatform.com, which is a collaboration platform to help financial institutions work together with a very vibrant ecosystem of fintechs from across the world. We now operate what we call as Oxygen by Apex, which is essentially a knowledge sharing platform and we are very happy to collaborate with the green room it's a great combination of what we do as a platform service provider and what the green room brings to you as a, a knowledge sharing base you can find out more about apex on apexplatform.com and you can find out more about oxygen by logging into apexoxygen.com where you'll find a lot of great panels, keynotes, uh, masterclasses that we do from time to time and uh, look forward to seeing you there. Vikram, welcome to the green room. I'm so excited about our conversation today. Thank you. Good afternoon. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. Um, Vikram, I want to get started just by talking about you. Sure. Your your background, I think, in the, in the fintech founder space is is a little bit unique. You've actually spent the majority of your career in banking. So maybe mm-hmm. start off by telling us a little bit about your background and how you actually got into banking very earlier in, in your career. Sure. That's a bit about me. Born and raised in India. I was a science kind of student. I uh, you know, did, my, did my bachelor's out there, did my, second, my first master's in the University of Pune, then went to the US to get my second master's. You know, it was... It was a tough time in 1995, 96, 97. So that basically dates me. But essentially, uh, the, the hot thing in the US was uh, technology, right? Everybody was doing tech courses and getting jobs and nobody else was. So yeah, that's when I decided to switch over to the MBA side, where I did an MBA in uh, finance. And, you know, that was that was interesting because that gave me a chance to kind of co-op with a GE capital company. Uh, that's that was working out of Devon, Pennsylvania. So I joined GE. I actually didn't know it was a GE-owned company, a General Electric. So I joined GE, spent around 10 years with GE in different roles. I was part of the corporate audit staff, a couple of years out there. Uh, but then moved to Asia because, I mean, that's where the growth was, right? So this is we are going back in 2006. So joined 
was in Hong Kong for a couple of years and then moved to Singapore. That's when you know, the global financial crisis uh, hit. NG was divesting all its assets. Um, and then after that, I joined Sunday Chartered Bank. I was there for 10 years, but the last eight, was, eight years were in the SME space. I was the head, head of uh, SME lending for Sunday Chartered Bank for the small business, uh, if you will. And then, uh, you know, the entrepreneurial bug was always there. My family has a, uh, has a family business uh, for the longest time. It's still there in India. So that entrepreneurial thing was always there. Um, and when we got a chance to do something on the uh, small business space uh, for myself, uh, took the opportunity to do that. That's great, Vikram. That's quite a journey. Um, and actually, coincidentally, my family in India is also in Pune. Uh, so I was no, actually, no. just came back from there a few days ago. Yeah. Uh, which is nice. great. Um, that's, that's really interesting because you're saying, um, you know, your journey is is interesting because you worked in banking for a long time, but you seem to yep. have worn like many different hats. And I think a lot of people don't realize this about banking, but like, you're not just, you know, a banker, like in a, Correct. in a void, like there are many different pieces of banking Correct. and it sounds like you've seen like the whole spectrum. And then, you know, towards the end, especially with more of a focus towards SMEs. And I want to talk about how we eventually get to CrediLink uh, mm-hmm. and the focus on SMEs, but yeah. can you tell us about some of like the most maybe impactful hats that you wore um, in your banking time? What, what did you learn the most from some of those roles? I think uh, the idea always was to create a portfolio of skills, right? That a potential employer, if you will, at that point in time, or just improving myself as a individual and a professional. So hence, if you look at the career, it's got growth in compliance, uh, it's got roles on the product side primarily, right? Uh, we've got roles in technology. So the idea was just to build the skill set and knowledge so that we understood enough about how to run and manage a business, what are the important levers, how does technology work, how does product work, what is the compliance mindset. So we start putting all these things together, you end up being a, hopefully a better business leader because you're always thinking about these kind of matters, right? Because it's not just, oh, I'm a sales guy, so I'll just go on doing sales. Actually, it's a sales role as well. So you always balance you know, the aggressiveness of getting the product out there with, hey, you know what, I need to make sure that the product is legal. I'm thinking about compliance all the time. So what we don't want to do is race at a million miles an hour and get pegged back three million miles because there's a compliance issue or we are falling far of the regulator. So having those kind of things in the back of your mind as you design the product, as you design the business, I think those things are really, really important. And every role obviously has its own little unique things, right? Uh, in a compliance role, you're forced to look at uh, you know, what is the compliance framework? You know, how detailed you need to be on the over enter- say enterprise risk. What is the credit policy looking like? You know, uh, on the product side, you're thinking about, okay, how do I think about the customer? What is the customer's view? What do the customer care about? What is the end-to-end life cycle for the customer? How do you make it easier for them to apply for the product, if you will, right? In SME lending, when, when I was heading up that bit, everything that we're doing now in terms of digitizing SME lending, I think, you know, uh, I learned with my time at uh, at the bank, right? Because 2016, 2017, FinTech revolution had started, you know, people were starting FinTechs and they wanted to do SME lending. It was a real challenge. We had to automate, we had to digitize, right? So that was a huge learning as well. So all these things that are combined together helped me where I am right now, right? Uh, so everything that I've learned along the way, right from you know, my first job out of B school to now, it just goes on adding to what I do today. I continue to learn, hopefully. 
Yeah, of course. Of course. I think um, that that makes a lot of sense. And I think particularly your point around compliance, that definitely resonates with me as like a good student of public policy. That's something that it's so important. And I think banks do a really great job focusing on it. Some fintechs sometimes don't do a great job focusing on it. Uh, And I think, as you said, it should hopefully definitely make you, um, you know, a better, a better leader in the fintech space. I wanted to also ask about the SME lending piece, uh, because that has been a theme through through your time in banking. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, is that something that happened by coincidence or is there something specific that made you gravitate towards SME while you were in banking? Typically, when you're in the bank, you're either on the retail side um, or on the wholesale banking side. Um, The SME one is always a bit of a myth, right? And typically in banking, you don't jump from one to the other. Either you're a retail banker and you stay a retail investment banker, you stay an investment banker. So when the when the opportunity came to jump from you know cards and personal loans on the individual side, which I was doing for Singapore, I got a chance to jump into the SME piece. I jumped at it, right? Obviously, a couple of my mentors, advisors said, you know what, hey, not many folks at this opportunity. If you're getting the chance to do this, it's still the open ocean, right? Um, lot, lot of things to do out there. If you can do it, if you can make the leap and and thrive, that's brilliant. Because then you as an individual become a bit more rounded, right? So you understand how the retail retail bank works, retail business works, and you start complementing that with SME. Brilliant. And I say, oh my God, you know, I'm doing cards and loans. How difficult can a SME loan be, right? Uh, it's night and day. It's night and day. It's a whole different animal. But look, you know, first year, 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 year and a half were uh, were a bit dodgy and difficult, if you <laughs> But you know, hey, here I am, still doing it strong. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and and SMEs are such a fascinating space. You mentioned um, that it's like night and day, right? Uh, yeah. Retail versus SMEs. There are a few a few differences that you could mention that may be surprising to our listeners. Look, I, I think um, when you start looking at an individual, right? Um, if it's a salaried individual, you, you're just looking at a, a regular monthly, 24th of the month, you're getting your whatever, 5, 10, 15K. And at the, at, at the 13th month or in March or February, you get a bonus, right? So that's pretty much all you need to consider. In certain cases, there's, there's rental income coming in. When you start talking about businesses, right, you have to start reading the tea leaves, if you will, out of their bank statements. And you know you can't really hang your hat on the financials because they could be management accounts. Uh, smaller businesses, micro businesses don't have audited financial. They just, it just don't exist. And that's the whole idea that, you know, this whole small business, micro business, that's a completely underserved segment. And hence, you've got digital banks starting all over the place saying, hey, let's use alternative data to do the lending. But not only do you have to analyze the business, you're going to start understanding who are the directors, what role they are playing, how credit they are there. So there are multiple layers. The guarantor piece comes in. Um, so it's a bit of an art and a science. Uh, but it's definitely not as straightforward as you have on the uh, individual side. Yeah, absolutely. Makes sense. Makes sense. So Vikram, after 20 years in banking, uh, yeah. GE, Standard Chartered, yeah. uh, you actually decided to start CreditLink.ai. Can you tell us a little bit about how that how that came to be? Yeah, look, I think, uh, you know, as a lot of people during COVID, everyone was reassessing their lives and where, what am I doing? Where is my life headed? Uh, I'm happy. There's that. Uh, and as I said, right, the idea always in life was to be an entrepreneur, start my own, well, not start necessarily, but run my own business. My business in India was started in 1957, 58, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So it's like really, really old. So it's been in the family. It's just me and my brother, one of the few guys who kind of came out and started working for somebody. So that it's always been there. COVID kind of said, you know what, hey, you can do something more than what you're doing today. 
And then the idea was, okay, um, I know everything about, I think I know everything about SME lending to kind of make a decent business case, but what I didn't know is where does the money come from to lend to these guys, right? Because in the bank, it's quite straightforward. It's quite, quite, quite seamless. And then I was lucky enough to meet my co-founder, right? Uh, through the missus. And we got on like a house on fire. It, it was just perfect, right? You know, we complimented each other uh, in the sense that, you know, I knew what SME, he knew what everything else that, 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 that needs to get done to start a business, right? And of course, he knew the SME space as well. Uh, we both recognized that there is a real opportunity to come up with a proposition in this market. Let's say this market, I'm talking about Southeast Asia and basically any of the underserved uh, uh, small and, and micro uh, small and micro businesses that are out there. And we said, look, there's an opportunity. We have to kind of tackle that. Uh, and we got talking a few conversations, you know, should we, shouldn't we, you know, and then, yeah, I think you said, yeah, let's just do it. And you know, we are two years later, still going strong. Wow, that's that's amazing. I love that uh, you're one of the, I think, many people that said, okay, uh, COVID is here. It's making me re- reevaluate my decisions. Had a little existential crisis. I started a podcast. You started a company. <laughs> um, nice. I love that. No, but so I think I, I think that's sorry, the key thing is, you know, just to have a co-founder who, who gets you and you're on the same level, you vibe well, you know who's bringing what to the table and, and you trust the person and, you know, just being really fortunate, I must say. That's great. That's always, always good to hear when um, you've got a good, a good partner by your side when you're starting a business. I also wanted to ask Vikram, you know, banking and startups have are, are at total opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to culture. Yeah. Uh, well, so they're su- supposedly at opposite ends of the spectrum. You know, yeah. banks are, as you know, um, slow, bureaucratic, quite risk averse. Whereas startups, they have to be fast. They have to be flat. Mm-hmm. They have to mm-hmm. be willing to take risks and hustle really hard. So after 20 years of banking, what have been some of, um, I guess, the biggest challenges, you know, going from banking leader to startup founder, and then maybe some of the biggest opportunities you've seen? Yeah, I think when you're in the bank, you take a lot of the things for granted, right? In these organizations where all the processes uh, have been laid out quite nicely, things that you take for granted, just like basic stuff like payroll, right? Or incorporation or, or basic frameworks, uh, SOPs, whatever. So all that stuff is very well laid out. You know, you come to the bank, you you get into your job, you pretty much know what needs to get done, right? And there are enough oversight, direct oversight, cross-functional oversight. So you basically find your way along, but there's no guidebook when you start doing something on your on your own, right? You have a idea, and not just for a start, not for a fintech, right? Any business, all you know is you know your core, but there's so much stuff around you that you think you know, you know you got to do it. It's just like, oh my God, it's so painful and takes away so much time, effort, energy, right? Uh, I think that was a bit of a, a, a wake-up call. And I think, you know, we're getting better at it. Uh, obviously, initially, there are very few people. So we are just wearing different different hats at different par- parts of the day, different times of the month. So it's it's just, um, it just, just kind of stops, right? So that's that's been fun. So what are the part B of your question? <laughs> what are what are sort of the challenge going from being a banking leader to a startup founder? And then also what are some of the things maybe you've taken with you or that you see as opportunities um, in terms of startup culture? Yeah, I think the opportunity was was always there, right? I mean, you know, if you look at any of the Southeast Asian markets or even your SMEs make the, the biggest chunk in terms of the employment of people, right? Uh, if you look at Indonesia, there are like 64 million as my, uh, smaller micro businesses in that country. So there always is a space and you know, we keep hearing about the fact, that, oh, these are underserved, these are underserved. Everybody wants to serve the underserved segment, but nobody knows how to actually do it. 
right? And these the understanding of businesses cannot produce a standard form of documents that are out there, right? Hence, you start looking at alternative data to do the surrogate underwriting, right? And you you test and you learn and you you, you start with a small limit. You kind of grow with them. So I think I think you know a lot of the thinking was happening already in the bank. How do we actually do it? But just takes time for it to move to that level where you can say, you know what? Yeah, let's do a five thousand dollar loan, ten thousand dollar loan, right? Um, these micro loans are very difficult, right? And you can move in up to five hundred uh, local currency, wherever that that market is. So the ideas has always been there. It's just getting to the execution bit is important. And the biggest thing is, look, I mean, now that we are like we've got our own little thing, right? The decision making is a lot faster, right? Three, four of us sit down on the table, make a decision, we execute. A week later, two weeks, two weeks later, a month later, we say, okay, okay, fine. Is this working? Yes, no, working, wonderful. What change do we need to make? So the speed of execution, speed of decision making is a lot faster. If something goes wrong, it is our next, right? So from that perspective, I think it's it's worked out really well. Yeah, I think those are the those are the big things. Yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense, Vikram. I think the the point around um, you know working at a startup, you can sort of serve a segment that you may not have been able to serve while you were in banking. That's I think why many yeah. people, certainly in this region, are doing what they're doing in the fintech space because there is such an opportunity out there. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's it's uh, not necessarily being taken by by some of the big banks. So might as well serve it through um, through a startup. Yeah, and I think you know we spent a lot of time at Credit Link in the initial six eight months, right? Just building the technology. Uh, what we didn't want to do is we didn't want to fake it, right? Oh, you know, it's 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 all awesome. It's 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 available, but at the back end, we still have armies of people crunching Excel. So as you said earlier, you know, the money that we raised initially was spent in building the tech so that when we work with the partners, we give the APIs, we give the widgets for them to embed into the platform so that they can execute quickly, right? Because they have got their own priorities, they've got their own, own you know, MVPs and, and features to roll out. Now, if it's that worrying about lending as well, then that becomes a problem. So I think we lead with technology, we spend time, effort, energy, money on technology. Now that it's there, now it's all about uh, execution and, and growth. Got it. Got it. So Vikram, we've been dancing around it a little bit. Let's actually mm-hmm. talk about Credit Link. Sure. Um, first things first, obviously your customers are SMEs, but what exactly does uh, Credit Link do? What's the business model? Cool. Okay. I mean, first statement is your SME, uh, sorry, Credit Link is, is not a lender, right? We are a technology infrastructure company that enables uh, B2B platforms like payment processors, e-commerce platforms, procure-to-pay platforms, uh, accounting platforms, right, or bookkeeping platforms, if you will. We allow them to offer embedded finance to the SMEs who are on their platform. Right? So we are enablers of credit decisioning, and then a funding entity would come in and say, you know what, yeah, credit link has underwritten the loan, we will fund it. That's a different matter. We already have our own private credit fund that does the funding, but if somebody's got their own you know, little kitty to fund from, absolutely, be my guest. So that, in short, is what Credit Link does, technology infrastructure providing. Got it. So definitely not a lender, just providing the infrastructure mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. a third-party lender. Could be yeah. your lender, could be um, some sure. other third-party lender. Could, could, be a, could be a bank in the future, could be any other private credit fund. Or if somebody's raised like a boatload of money in the series A, B, C, whatever, and say, you know what, let's experiment with 3 million bucks to do lending because everybody wants to do lending, right? Right. Uh, great margin. So yeah, absolutely. They, they can use that. Not a problem. Got it. And the lending, the loans then go to the SMEs via Correct. some e-commerce platform. Maybe yes. you can 
who are some of your customers, I guess, the, who would be some of these platforms that are using credit link services? I'm not sure I should be taking names here. Oh, is it, uh, is it secret information? Yeah. <laughs> um, no worries, no worries. It's because um, it's, it's, not, it's not out of the public, right? It's still um, a lot of the uh, proof of concepts going on, some are live. Um, so unless we actually have formal announcements out there, uh, rather just... Uh, but essentially, you know, what I said, right? E-commerce platforms, procurement platforms, accounting, accounting platforms, mm-hmm. bookkeeping platforms. All these guys are, are our typical customers. Got it. Got it. And let's talk about your customers a little bit. Who are your customers? So, okay. So, as I said, right, we enable um, credit decisions. Sorry, and by customers, I mean SMEs. Who are like the SMEs that are ultimately being served with these credit oh, so, 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 the technology is kind of industry agnostic, right? So, the idea is that um, if you're a buyer on a procure pay platform, we will do B2B buy now, pay later, or which is called B2B pay later. They can go ahead and buy the goods now and pay back in whatever 30, 40, 60 days. Now, whether it is a construction materials platform or a FND kind of platform, whatever, doesn't really matter, right? All we are interested in, hey, is there transaction data on the platform that, that we can use? Are there so that's the quantitative stuff, how much they bought, what price, uh, any refunds, any uh, uh, and then, of course, all the, all the ratings and reviews. So we use all of that stuff to make a decision to give a credit line. And then we monitor that robustly. Why? Right? Because it's a light touch underwriting, but it's a robust monitoring, i.e. Once you're plugged in, every day sales, every day's purchases, we keep getting that information. We keep feeding our credit engine. And we keep making sure that uh, the line is commensurate to the business that's happening on the platform. And if you're on the on the seller side, i.e., you're you're on um, say, well, the Amazon of the world, right? And you've sold something already, and you're waiting to get paid back by, by Amazon or the e-commerce platform, and you have to wait for 30, 60, 90. Now the cycle is getting longer and longer, right? So you just advance those receivables, and you know that's called GMV financing. So depending on the platform, uh, SMEs, as I said, right, it's kind of agnostic. Depending on the platform, we've got a whole array of different types of platforms that you're working with. Got it. Got it. But they are, I mean, SMEs, meaning probably less than 10 people working. Sounds like there could be a construction company. It could be a, it could be a restaurant, could just a, a small, a small business. Yeah. Um, are you also serving, I would say like micro SMEs, like or like yes. sole proprietors? Look, I think the, the micro SME thing is, is going to be the critical one, right? Because these are the ones that are truly underserved. Um, the sole props obviously comes, comes with its own challenges, but the idea is that Anything below, like say a million bucks, million dollars annual sales turnover, I think that's where it starts getting a bit tricky because maybe the cost of serving or underwriting these customers and meeting the customers on the bank is a bit too high, right? So banks will banks may not do a, a, a small ticket loan, if you will. Um, they may not have say bank statements or or any other documents, but they definitely would be having. If they are digitally signed, they'll be on these platforms, right? So the way we work with, we always partner with a platform. It's we would not go SME by SME. Hey, do you, you know, do you need some kind of loan facility? Like, let us let us underwrite you. We'll all be working with a platform where there are already hundreds of thousands of SMEs, and we'll embed our product on that platform. And our product is white labeled uh, if the if the partner so chooses to offer growth capital at the point of need. So they shouldn't have to leave the partners platform, right? They should be able to apply for a loan within the platform, we should be able to underwrite and the funding partner should be able to come and fund that particular transaction right then and there. So for BNPL, when they say, look, I want to buy, uh, you know, these five oranges, uh, these 10 uh, uh, apples, uh, this chicken and whatever for $100, 
when they check out, they should be able to say, you know what, this transaction is not paying my credit card. I want to fund this thing with, let's go to credit and pay later, right? Uh, uh, assuming we're not white labeling it, um, credit and pay later, and I want to pay it back in 45 days. So right then and there, they would see, okay, 100 bucks, yeah, these are my charges, total amount due, and this is the due date. Check out, they exit, money gets transferred to the supplier, not the buyer. So now we know the end use of, of the of the, uh, of the proceeds as well. So that's another good control to have. Absolutely. That's great risk management. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it's a really good visualization for our listeners around like who probably have experience with consumer BNPL, right? At a exactly. checkout page on Amazon or Shopee or something. It's a okay. very good corollary to say, okay, Freddie link pay later, <laughs> you know, when yeah. an SME is checking out on a, on one of their supplier websites. And that's exactly the experience that we want to bring to the SMEs because we are so used to it on the consumer side. But the beauty of it on the business side is um, if it's a restaurant buying some buying stuff uh, on the procurement pay platform, they will need the same orangish chicken, um, what have you, right? Uh, in seven days time, ten days time. So it's not a not a one-off purchase. It's going to be a repeat purchase, right? So again, you know, I see history, I see ongoing transactions. Uh, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah, that that's amazing. And I think, you know, you you've mentioned alternative data a couple of times. I sure. think that is uh you're tapping into a really interesting source of alternative data. But let me ask yeah. you, is there are you finding it difficult? Because we've had this conversation with some other uh some other folks on the podcast who are trying to get alternative data from partners. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it can be challenging to get data from those partners. Like at some point, would those partners want to use that data? Would they consider it proprietary? Would they want to offer similar services? How do you think about like actually accessing that data? Has that been a challenge for you or not so much? So I think if you look at what's going on, right? Uh, think, of, think of an e-commerce platform or a particular platform in a particular market. There are always four, five, six of them, right? So the competition is heating up in every market, in every space, right? Uh, people see an opportunity, ah, I can do that. So what's happening for these platforms is their margins are shrinking. Right. And then say, oh, you know, what else can we do to boost it up? Show more value services, but the best among them is SME lending. Right. Offering credit to the SME platform because they know how painful it is for these SMEs to go out and get it. It takes four to five weeks to get a credit decision and I don't know how much longer to get the money. And then for every drawdown, they'll ask for more documents. So they want to get into this SME lending space, but to actually offer the embedded finance solution or any kind of credit. What you're going to need is technology. What you're going to need is infrastructure. What you're going to need is people who understand uh, the product, people who understand the risk. Um, and then, of course, the mindset to go ahead and, and use pure auditor data to make lending decisions. So assembling this A-team, if you were right, of all these components uh, is a challenge. And we'll run people in between six to eight months and I don't know, a million bucks, I guess. So what should they do? They should pick up the phone and call Credit Link. Why? Because we offer credit as a service where you get all of us and our technology to help solve that problem for you. So it's a partnership, right? We are not a vendor to the partner. We are a partner. So in a true partnership, they are generally happy to share the data. Why? Because we are, one, improving the stickiness of the SME on the platform which then leads to higher volumes, which leads to more GMV on the platform, which leads to higher valuation for that platform. Not to mention that, you know, we also share some commercials um, with our partner 
because right, so this new revenue stream for them as well. So all in all, it becomes a win-win for everybody. So thus far, we've really not had a challenge of getting that data. Uh, they're happy to share it with us because we solve a particular problem for them, and you know, we speak again. Yeah, yeah, that's great. So it's yeah, win-win, win-win-win for yeah. everybody involved. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And as I said, if they if they've got a huge series or a series B done and they've got three four million bucks, they get the interest income as well. Yeah, All absolutely. We, do, we charge a SaaS fee. Right, makes sense. Oh, one well, point, and and the price of our technology is awesome. It's for free. Right. Right. So not only the APIs, the widgets, everything that they need to embed into the platform, we've already built it. Right. So again, this is learning through the experience, right? After talking and working with so many of the of partners, we've tried to make it very, very simple and cookie cutter, right? Your tech team is too busy to do the widgets, which says you are eligible for the loan or, you know, prudent principle or, you know, here you go, right? Here's a widget, white label it. You put it in these specific places, you define your journey, but here are the widgets, done. Here's a dashboard that, or the finance dashboard that you can embed into your platform with your white labeling, done. It's all there, plug and play. And, you know, we do obviously, you know, before we actually go live, we, we see what data they've got, we customize our uh, our algorithms. And typically it's a, takes very, uh, four, five days to, to tweak it, right? Based on the data sources that are available. So once that's done, it's it can be off the races. So within, you know, four to six weeks, commercial weeks aside, shouldn't be a problem really. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Yeah, the lower touch, uh, easier integration, the better, I think, for everyone involved. Um, yeah, because what started happening was, oh, you know, our tech team is too busy to build the widgets. You know, let's talk in the, in the next quarter. They say, hang on. Uh, uh, next quarter, okay. Uh, but so they say, you know what? Let's do it ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great. Uh, it makes it makes life easier for your customers, yeah. uh, and ultimately will be quicker to market for your mm-hmm. for your end SME customers. I, I do have to ask, Vikram, um, how how do you guys make money? I mean, you aren't front, you aren't funding loans yourselves, and you are working with with the partners. So, what's your revenue model? How do you get how do you get paid? So what we do is we charge a SaaS fee, right? So what we do is we we do the underwriting, we give a line of credit, and every time there's a drawdown, we take a clip, right? So that's how we make our money. Got it. Got so, it. That's great. There's no infrastructure layer, and you get solid revenue streams. I Correct. given that part of this is part of your revenue is sort of related to the interest income. Um, obviously, it's not going directly to you, uh, it goes to the, it goes to the lender, but given mm-hmm. that that's part of your revenue model, I do want to ask, um, you know, we're in like a very tough macro environment, uh, the last few months, I think we've heard about a lot of B2C BNPL companies really struggling. People haven't been able to raise, people haven't been able to IPO. There's been a lot of, yeah, challenge in the market. I think a few of the macro factors that are contributing are rising interest rates, poor, I mean, there's the companies mm-hmm. themselves may have had poor credit risk management. So how how is CreditLink thinking about some of these macro challenges? Um, even though you're not directly lending in this space, mm-hmm. these are challenges that do impact potentially your revenue streams. How are you thinking about that? And do you have any have any ways of mitigating those issues? Look, I think uh, the good part of this is we started the business on the on the other side of COVID. So what has happened is you know some of the businesses that didn't have the resilience. Obviously, they kind of 
goes down. So those who have made it through, they're already slightly stronger companies. They know how to run their business. They manage, they manage their, the situation better, for which they are better off. Now, since we're using only alternative data, it makes life a lot easier because, you know, we can see the pattern the last 6, 12, 18 months, and that enables us to make the right credit decision as to where, how much should we be giving this particular borrower. And then we say, okay, fine, the monitoring helps us manage that, right? So in every market, the trends are going to be different, right? In the sense that although the approach is going to be very similar that, okay, you know, if your particular market say, is going through a, a tough challenge, right? We probably start doing the, uh, we start reducing the lines much earlier. So we've got those mechanisms built in already to make sure that either if the market has faced a challenge, we kind of, we kind of mitigate the losses for our funding partner um, or two, we, we just kind of manage each line on a daily basis. And then on the pricing side, obviously, as the rates are rising, uh, we have to obviously raise the rates as well. So I think that's another way by which we can, we can uh, you know, manage some of the losses, if you will. So you control what you see, and then you price for the risk. Right, right. It's sort of managing managing the risk return at a portfolio level as well as right. like the individual SME level. Correct. That makes Correct. a lot of sense. Because because everyone is written unwritten at the borrower level, right? So it's not a portfolio kind of thing. Oh, you know, you're so so and so partner. This is the line. You guys figure it out. No, no, no. It's always at the borrower, and it's the drawdown always is commensurate to what either they're buying or what they are capable of repaying. So yeah. I think we go through that quite quite rigorously because yeah, that's just prudent risk management, if you will. Yeah. And 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 you know, depending on what the interest rates do now, the next uh, eight to twelve months, then uh, we obviously have to go on adjusting. So that's why the the shorter tenor loans are always better, right? So if it, if it were a twelve month loan, becomes a bit of a challenge, right? Of course, if it's a fourteen one, but if you're doing 30, 60, 90 kind of things or fourteen uh, fourteen twenty one. Uh, 28 kind of thing, then it becomes a lot easier because again, very short. So we have to match the tenors to the working capital cycle for that particular industry. Industrial construction material, I think, could be six, 90 and 120 days. The FNB is seven days. So we just customize it. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. I also wanted to ask, uh, when you're you're uh, looking at risk, how are like how quickly are you able to give someone an approval for their BNPL or GMB financing product? Uh, so I think once we understand the homework that we do is to understand all the data sources that are available in that market and on that particular partners uh, platform. So once we know that, we pre-configure the credit model for that particular platform. And as I said, right, so based on certain parameters, they could see, they could see in there, I mean, the SME could see in their dashboard that, hey, you could be eligible for a B2B pay later based on, you know, how, you know, four or five conditions, right? Once you see the widget, once they click on that, essentially we take permission, uh, the platform takes permission to share the data with us. All that stuff comes in and in one to three seconds, you essentially get a approval in principle, the amount and the rate. Because we still have to do the KYC and the rest of it, and hence it's not a complete approval. They have to do, go through the loan agreements, but it's as fast as that. So they don't have to wait that long, right? It's pretty yeah. instantaneous. Absolutely. Okay. So that's great. It's almost like they're pre-approved, which is almost, almost. <laughs> Vigor, one more, one more question um, focused on credit link. I wanted to ask, you've had experience, you know, all over the world. Uh, and then of course you focused your attention on Asia, which markets are you starting with uh, for credit link and why? And I guess, how do you think about expansion across the region and potentially the world? Sure. Uh, I think 
Yes, we started in Singapore, obviously. Uh, we, are, we, are, uh, we should be going live in Indonesia in hopefully a couple of weeks. Um, we are already live in Australia. We are trying to go live in Philippines. We are trying to sort of the licensing bit out there. And of course, India is on, India is on the cards next, and then uh, hopefully Europe. But the key always is going to be a partner, right? So if a partner wants to work with us, uh, happy to go to that market. Because for CreditLink itself, there's no real challenge because we are doing credit as a service. Um, so we're just assimilating the data, uh, consuming it, and coming up with a loan decision, if you will. Uh, the challenge comes on the on the lending side, right? Who or the lending partner who can come in and lend the money? Because typically, the the partner wants both. They want credit as a service and they want capital as a service as well. And if you have to use our own uh, credit fund, then that credit fund should be able to lend in that market. So I think you know Southeast Asia obviously is step one. India, we talked to a few folks, uh, that should be step two. And then uh, hopefully uh, you're at some point in time this year. Got it. That's very exciting. I'm looking mm-hmm. forward to seeing that expansion. Often would. <laughs> yes, definitely. So Vikram, I want to zoom out a little and talk um, actually about SMEs, um, particularly mm-hmm. in this market environment, because I think, as you said, said earlier, SMEs are, particularly micro SMEs, are some of the most underserved segments. And yeah. I think um, it's it's helpful for for people to understand like what their uh, the impact that a business like yours can actually have on them. So maybe let's let's start with first things first. You know, SMEs are your customers. How one? Um, what is the impact that like Credit Link can have on their lives? And then two, how how are they also being impacted by this kind of global macro environment, which we're all seeing the, the impacts of in strange ways, but SMEs maybe feel it in unique ways. Yeah, I think let's start with the latter part, right? Because of COVID and the fact that everyone's just confined and restricted to their apartments or the houses or whatever, the move to digital has really accelerated. So even if you go to India, everybody is is you know, using QR codes. Uh, I was in India as well. I have barely used cash. Right? It was just using QR codes with, with Deem. I started making all my payments, no problem at all. Everywhere, um, the governments are helping small micro businesses get onto these onto the digital bandwagon. Um, there are bookkeeping platforms for you know the, the smallest of the small micro SME. A lot of these guys are trying to get onto the platforms. If they're on platforms, then again they leave the digital footprint, and that's what we can use. So the faster these economies in this region and across the globe digitize and start leaving a digital footprint, there will be more and more players coming and say, you know what, hey. We can use that data uh, and put it to good use. And when you start asking transaction data, right? Somebody's buying and selling, that is absolutely priceless, right? And then you start using, okay, uh, start adding more and more external data points, if you would say, to support that trade decision if required. So what then, what that does is obviously the financial inclusion piece, which is so, so important, right? These guys have been left out of, of, of the whole financial uh, revolution, if you will. But the idea is that the, once they get access to capital, they can buy more, they can grow the store, they, they generate more revenue for themselves, they got more money. So basically it lifts the entire economy, if you will, right? And then if you can do lending, then you can you know, you, you can start thinking about, hey, how do you get these guys' bank accounts? So it's just a whole journey that, that these small businesses and the business owners can be on, which is going to be quite revolutionary, if you will. Because uh, most folks, you know, micro micro businesses don't have bank accounts, perhaps, right? 
So if you can make it a backup that doesn't charge you 10 bucks a month, right? Um, it's it's going to be good, quite, quite revolutionary. Yeah. And then you start giving all the other services, right? At some point, you know, you, because you get cards and loans, more formal loans, right? Right. Mortgages, yeah. Absolutely. It's, it sounds like it's a great entryway for some of these SMEs to be part of a, a much larger financial system. Correct. And I, I see this a lot in my work. I mean, I work more on the blue collar worker consumer mm-hmm. side. That's mm-hmm. my day job. I'm not on this podcast. And a large part of you know the work I do is focused on women. And I think mm-hmm. um, that's something that's also very uh, important in the SME space, getting yeah. you know women more access to financial services. And you know, we know in Asia that fifty to sixty percent of micro and SMEs are actually owned by women. And my question, question, Vikram, I don't know if you have this data offhand, but do you know if there is like any difference in behavior by men and women-led SMEs that are using CreditLink? Is there any sort of gap you're seeing? No, at this point, I don't have any data points to say one is better than the other. I mean, generally, I think business owners and small business owners are are quite honest and you know they want to grow the business they want to have the families hence they're taking the loan because they see the opportunity and they generally want to pay back that that's that's the general feeling that i've, I've always had and it, and the intent to pay has always been there yeah well and i see it they see this as an incredible tool again as you said for financial inclusion women do tend to be more left out of the financial system than men they tend to have less financial literacy digital literacy and so i yeah. do see you know, credit link being a, a great tool to to kind of bridge that gap. Yeah, um, yeah. I think obviously you know, we, we don't get into the, the male female aspect of it. For us, it's an entity, and who needs mm-hmm. who needs uh, 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 credit, if you will, uh, and we try and make that happen, and we evaluate everyone on their merit. Absolutely. That's great. And I think that's probably what we want. Let's evaluate people based on their merit, not necessarily, not, not their gender at all. For sure. Um, Absolutely. I'm not sure we even track that stuff, right? I mean, I always think that stuff is worth tracking to see like, what are the difference in outcomes? But Mm -hmm. of course I agree with you. It's definitely not an input into any sort of credit decision. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I mean, luckily out here, you know, it's it's a small team. So, and a lot of the leadership team out here are women, so there's no way any of that yeah. stuff happening. <laughs> Good, absolutely. That's 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 great news. Um, Vikram, I am looking at the clock, and I see we're almost out of time. Um, but I have one last question for you. Sure. You know, we're recording this uh, around Chinese New Year, which mm-hmm. is a very big holiday in Asia. So maybe can you tell me what are your top one or two goals for Credit Link in the Year of the Rabbit? I think the idea is to build a sustainable business, right? People have placed a lot of faith in us. You know, all the, all the investors have placed a lot of faith in us. Um, so the idea is to grow this thing across the region, uh, hopefully into, into Europe, uh, build a build a growing book. Uh, and the idea is that, you know, uh, help our people develop because I think, you know, people tend to forget, oh, it's a, it's a startup, so you're constantly just focused on on growth, growth, growth. But I think we are, we are trying to make sure that the folks who join us uh, get a chance at, at different opportunities, right? Different roles within, within the, the fintech that we've got. So career development of, of our own team members is, is really, really important uh, along with the growth of the business. So I think in the next uh, 12 odd months, if we can you know, grow this team a, a bit larger, have happy people working for the team, uh, focus towards helping the small businesses, I think that would be a good outcome. And if you can grow across multiple geographies and, and deliver a good return to our shareholders, I think that's a, a decent outcome. Great. Great. I'm uh, looking forward to uh, seeing you reach all of those goals, Vikram. Um, thank you so much for your time today. This has been a really fun and fascinating conversation. Um, 
yeah, thank you for, for being on The Green Room. Thank you very much. And now a word from our sponsors. Hello, my name is Todd Schweitzer. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Brancas. Brancas is a Southeast Asia-based open finance technology company. And we do several things. We work with banks and other financial institutions with a set of software solutions to help them launch open APIs and API products um, in a matter of weeks. And we also provide uh, simplified APIs that enable any fintech or e-commerce or online business to instantly connect to financial services across Southeast Asia through a simple API. We operate in Indonesia, Philippines, Vietnam, Thailand, Singapore, and soon Bangladesh. And I'm very excited to participate in the Green Room and forward to supporting the Green Room podcast and also the broader Apex Oxygen initiatives. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of The Green Room with Amrita Veer. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe to get the latest updates. If you've enjoyed this podcast, we would really appreciate you leaving us five stars, a review, and passing us along to your friends. And if you know anyone who'd be a great guest or have any feedback, reach out to us at greenroomfintech at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Catch you later.